Welcome to Blessings in Christ. I'm Scott Roberts. Blessings in Christ is also the Church of Christ, preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The Church of Christ is scriptural in name, Romans 16, 16, scriptural in origin, Colossians 1, 18, scriptural in doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 16, and scriptural in practice, James 1 and 22. Our lesson today is by Joey Fox from the Southside Congregation in Beattyville, Kentucky. He's bringing us an inspirational lesson on what shall I do with Jesus? All of us in our life have the opportunity to accept Jesus, accept the gospel, and become a member of his church. Or if we reject him, then we will suffer for eternity, being separated uh, from God for eternity. We just pray that you will accept the gospel, obey the gospel today, and please like uh, Joey's lesson, and please like us on Facebook. Thank you. Jesus, my Question with question I answer, 
What shall he, what will he do with me? And it says, like in the days of old Pilate, man of the world is today. Jesus, your Savior, is waiting. What does your answer say? And then it goes through the chorus again, and then it comes back and it says, now the decision is yours, friend. Save your soul or be lost. If you decide you will lose it, think of the awful cost. And then it goes through the chorus again and it says, You are the judge and the jury. Satan's a lawyer for sin. Christ is on trial before you, needing your soul to win. So what shall I do with Jesus? What shall my answer be? Question with question I answer. What shall he do with me? That's something we all want to think about. What will Jesus do with us in that day? When we're called, you know, just this year, we've had many that have passed away. The young and the old, they die just the same. But many are passing this life that are unprepared for the judgment, for what's to come. And you know it can come on you at any moment. At any time. In our lesson, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 27 and verse 11. Starting with verse 11 and we'll go through about verse 26. It says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things that they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wanting to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this, with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. And the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? And they said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? And then they, but they cried the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. 
Then answered the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You think this story, just reading through the verses there, we don't read them very often, but you read through that. Pilate knows that Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. He could have released him. But he asked the people, what do I do with Jesus? Oh, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And then Pilate goes on to wash his hands thinking that that makes him innocent. No. He was as guilty as they were because he had the power. The power to release him, but he didn't. But we'll go on and we'll talk about this. That was all prophesied in the long ago that this would happen. Just the way it did. But what are we doing with Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he hath offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, and him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation and all them that obey him. You know, Brother Tom used to quote this scripture a lot. But I think that first verse says it all. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he cried and, and begged to, to the Lord to let him let that cup pass from him. But he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. And with crying and tears, wanted to be, that cup to pass away. But what did he do? He was obedient. Are we being obedient as Jesus was? In Matthew chapter 11, and verse 28 through 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that don't mean in this life that things is going to be easy. But you know what? The plan of salvation and, and the gospel is laid out right before us. It's written down in what they say black and red words, plain so that we can see it and we can read it and we can understand it. He says, come unto me. He wants us to come to him. He, he wouldn't have it any other way. But there's so many out in this world that are trying to tell you to come some other way. No, he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We want his rest, not some other type of rest. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50 through 58, it says, Jesus said unto them, said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put again, put up again thy sword into his place, and for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. 
thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out against a thief with swords and staves to take for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see him. There's a couple of different things here that we can look at of what we're doing with Jesus. You know, he said that he could call angels, but he didn't because the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. And then what happened? His disciples forsook him and fled. They couldn't handle the, the things that was going to happen. But then Peter followed him afar off. You know, there's a whole lesson that I've heard on that. Peter following afar off. Are we following afar off? Are we following behind just because we don't want to be seen and, and be part of what Jesus has to offer? We need to watch that we're not following afar off. What are we doing with Jesus? And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 through 15, it says, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet abideth faith, He cannot deny Himself. All these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. We need to be accurate. We need to be studied. He says here, but strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. These words, they are subverting. What does subverting mean? It means to bring down. Bring down the ones that are hearing. We need to be after it and understand what the gospel has to offer. Studying to show ourselves approved. Are we doing that? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16, it says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, I thought about this this portion of the lesson because of the day. We don't have the light that we normally have. But do we have the light of our soul? Are we lighting the world with us? With what we have to offer? We have something that, that none other has to offer. We have the gospel. We have the truth. 
that we can offer to everybody. But sometimes I think that we hide that, hide it from everybody else because we're afraid of what these words that are written will tell them. You know, they may not be our friend for very long after you tell them something, but at least you've told them the truth. You've told them, and they can't in the day of judgment say, well, you never mentioned him to me. You never said a word. But we need to be looking after that, friends, and studying to show ourselves approved. In uh, John chapter 6 and verse 68, 66 through 68, it says, For that time, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He does. He's the only one that has them. This book is the only one that holds them. It's the only one that will save us in the day of judgment is if we've done every word, everything that it says. He's Peter being outspoken one he says, whom shall we go? There's no salvation in nothing else, friends. Nothing else. No salvation. In John chapter 12 and verse 47 through 50, it says, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejected me and received not my words hath one that judges him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandments, commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. The things that the Lord told him, he spoke and laid it out for us. Think of that. God sent His Son and told Him what to say. Told Him, told us what to do. And He, he spoke it. Spoke it back then. But we have it written down now. And He said, He that rejected me and received not my words hath one that judges him. Those words that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Word's going to judge us in, the, in the after a while, friends. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with Jesus? In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15 through 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're going to abide forever somewhere. We're going to either abide in happiness and joy and peace, and in that rest that we've already talked about this morning, or we're going to be in torment forever and forevermore, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. That's, that's the basics of it. No, nothing more, nothing less. But I don't know about you, yesterday I was sitting there at the computer, 
I'm a bit of a fire bug. If I get around the fire, I kind of like to, like a lighter. I like to play with it. But you know what? If it hits you, I don't think you want to touch it for very long. That heat off of it. I've been burned a time or two from a muffler or whatever, and it hurts. But that's a burn that never goes away. It's going to be there forever and forever more. But we're not going to be consumed. You know, they talk about the cremation and being burned up and there's been people that have been in the World War II that got bombed and there was nothing left of them. But this, we will live on forever ever more like that. Being burned and tormented and tormented. I don't want to be like that. I don't know about you. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 24 and 25 it says, And certain, and after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Is that our attitude too? Is I'll just wait for a convenient time. God will give me time. He, he, I've got plenty of time. I'm just, me, I'm just 44 years old. I've got plenty of time. I'll do what he tells me to do one day. It's alright. No friends. Now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Because, what did he say in another scripture? Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Those that haven't believed, you can die at any time. God don't give us no promise of tomorrow. And that song says, if tomorrow never comes, tomorrow never does. Today is the day of salvation. There is no promise of a tomorrow. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 27 and through 29 it says, Agrippa, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets, I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Are we like that? Almost persuaded? You know that song in the book, 647, Almost Persuaded, Now to Believe, Almost Persuaded. You know, are we almost? We better be all together, like Paul was, all together, persuaded. And then in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't know about you, sometimes we lose that thought of seeking the kingdom first and putting God first in our lives. That's the easiest thing to do is to put something else before Jesus. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We get swept away in the material things. Are we going to have a car? Are we going to have lights? Are we going to have a roof over our head? Are we going to have water? Yeah, all those things 
will come along as long as we're doing what God asks us to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 and 6, it says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and of destitute and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, of such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Are we are we godly having godliness with contentment? Are we content to be just simply a Christian? That's that's really what it boils down to. Are we content to be a Christian and do what God asked to asked us to do? That's great gain. We may not think of it that way, but that's better than dollars and, and material wealth will ever give us. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 through 6, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have taste of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Do we put him to an open shame? Do we deny him just like they did there? The denying Jesus. Peter denied him three times. And he knew him. He'd been about him. He knew what he was about. He knew all the things that Jesus had done, but yet he denied him anyway. Are we like that? In James chapter 4 and verse 17 it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. If we know that we should do something and we don't do it, it's sin. On the flip side, if we know that we shouldn't do something and we do it anyway, it's sin. We need to be doing exactly what the Word says. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46 it says, and they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You read chapter 25 of Matthew, and it talks about both sides. It talks about those that did everything that Jesus told them to do. And He said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of one of these, you did it unto Him. And then on the flip side, all the things that they didn't do. They didn't feed. They didn't do uh, go visit. They didn't do all those things. And then as much as they did it to the, not to the least of one of them, they did it not unto them. Yeah. And they went away into punishment. Those that didn't do it. And life, but life unto the life eternal for the righteous. Are we looking for that? What are we doing with Jesus? That was part of the lesson, but then I found another part that I wanted to use for this lesson. It says, is there evidence, enough evidence, that we are a Christian? You can take that as part. You know, when you have a trial, and they're trying to figure out whether somebody's guilty or innocent, there's usually, there has to be some evidence to prove whether they're guilty or they're not guilty. In my way of looking, if they've been brought up on charges, maybe they are guilty. But I should reserve my judgment until I hear it all, I think. But there has to be some evidence there. Well, God's looking at our evidence, our body of work. And that's, that's what He's really looking at. 
our body of work from the time that we're accountable, that we become a Christian until life's sin. You know, we talk about the, the, the time between the year of our birth and the year of our death. That's part of it. But there's a time period where we become accountable. We are, from that point till our death, we need to be faithful. We need to be that that God would have us to be. So that's our evidence. Is there enough evidence that we are a Christian? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not vain. If we're doing the work that God asked us to do, it's not vain work. We may not see the evidence thereof, but I guarantee you this. In the day of judgment, if we've done well, we'll hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. But if we have not done well, he will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in me. That's exactly what he's going to say. Nothing more, nothing less.